0: Okay. We are now blessed to have our sermon for today by Mr. Winscout. Howdy. Howdy. Are you all awake? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Don't be surprised if we do something interesting here to keep you all awake. Uh, it's really been tremendous to be here. Uh, Thank everybody for their participation. Uh, Thanks to the Tulsa Church of God for food and food and food. And spiritual food too. I just uh, appreciate all the seminars uh, that have have gone on and the messages that have been preached. And, um, you know, we're really blessed. I've got to tell you here in Tulsa, this is from the rest of us who are visiting Tulsa, Um, We think you have one of the most blessed congregations in America. You may not recognize that and you may not see that, you may not understand that, but you really do. You think about 60 to 80 people on a weekly basis, youth, uh, lots of people coming in and filling shoes, and uh, youth, children, it's marvelous. Um, And I, I hope we really count our blessings. Uh, you know some of the congregations that uh, we get the opportunity to, and I say it is an opportunity and a blessing to go visit, might be 12, 15, and there might be one family with one or two little ones. So count your blessings here. This is really awesome. Uh, I, you know, forget all of the you know struggles you have between yourselves and just realize this is really awesome. You know, if you have to put up with Matt, it's okay. All right, it's okay. I love you, Matt. Um, today, you see the title up there Wave Sheep and the Great, the Great Connection. Uh, that is what I eventually want to talk about, but uh, let's see. I remember the trap door, so <laughs> guys got to remind me about that, okay? Um, but what I'd like to do to begin with, though, uh, as we, before we get into that, is I really want to talk about how blessed we are to have this. And I have a little handout, or there's a little handout that you may have gotten that was in connection with the announcement bulletin. And I would like to read that to start with, and I'm sorry I left off the T to begin the, so, uh, you know, key Bible should be the Bible, okay? <laughs> but I'd like to read that because I, this to me is what this book is about for you and for me. Uh, it, it says, this is that little saying, read along with me, it says, The Bible contains the mind of God. We agree with that? It really is. It's His way of thinking and His way of doing things. The condition of man. Thankfully, He understands our frame. The way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. And isn't that true? We are, we're joyful because of what we believe and what we know. I mean, we're just, it bubbles out. It's just great. Uh, its doctrines, are, notice, are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions unchangeable. And then I believe this. I really believe this when we read the Bible. And you know, Curtis, I so much appreciated what you gave yesterday in that in the uh, introduction to Bible interpretation and inductive Bible study because we have to be able to discern the scriptures and pull it apart. And when we do that, this is why we're doing it. We read the Bible to be wise and to be safe, and we practice it to be holy. The Bible contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to, contain, uh, comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim, the pilgrim's uh, staff, excuse me, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's co- charter. Christ is the subject, and our good is its design. And the glory of God is the end, the end result. And the Bible should be, you know, the Bible should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Amen. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is given to you in life. It will be opened in the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. To me, that is what this book is all about. That's a mouthful. That's a, that's a, that is a job for us right there, isn't it? It really is. It certainly is. And uh, I just I wanted to mention that because I also believe what it says over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you'll turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, these would be, I would say, uh, preliminary comments. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when I was a little boy, my mother, I remember the first time she had me read this, and we were getting close to the Feast of Tabernacles, and uh, for, for those of you who don't know my background and my history, my parents came into the Worldwide Radio Church of God in 1959. And so I was at that time five years old. So I know no other way. Uh, so I have my perspective, don't I, for sure. Uh, but she had me read this, these verses that I'm reading to you today. Uh, I use them, I like to read them at the Feast of Tabernacles, but uh, verse 9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And I believe that, that we have no clue what God has in store for us. It is so much bigger and greater than we can even comprehend, but he has. And it says... But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Now, we know we see through a glass darkly, but I tell you, what we do see, isn't it exciting? Isn't it awesome? Through His Spirit, the things that He has prepared. for. And then, here is, here is a, you know, another thought. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? And we know that we, with the spirit of man in us, have, have more, have, you know, we're the top of the food chain, you might say. Ability to reason—is that me, Robin? Okay, is that me? Sorry, I'll be uh, for me to stay still. that's going to be hard, but I'll try. Um, but the fact that we have the spirit in man—it puts us above my cat, and my dog. You know, uh, he can't feed me; I have to feed him or them. You know, there and there's reasoning abilities. It's just unbelievable what God has made, and He's made us to be in His very image and in His likeness someday. You know, uh, we'll not only look like Him, we'll be like Him. Which comes because, uh, even so the things of God knows no man but by the Spirit of God. You realize what a great blessing it is that we have His Holy Spirit. We can't understand this without it. We really can't discern and decipher things without this and without His Spirit in us. And it's, it's just awesome. And I want us to be thankful <laughs> that we have His Holy Spirit and to recognize that we, in our studies, come to understand things. And as we hear and we read and we see things, we understand because He allows us to through His Spirit and we grasp. And He gives us His Spirit so that we, His children, can become like Him in every way. That is, you know, it's kind of our our goal in life, is to be children, to be like Him in every way. And I just, uh, I'm very appreciative. I thank my mother for uh, having me read that. Verse 12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And, you know, He freely gives us so much. Uh, And uh, today... We are uh, on the weekly Sabbath after the conclusion of the Holy Days, and I hope we can be thankful today for His Holy Spirit, for the things He's given us, for the knowledge and understanding. And, um, you know, now that we are in these Spring Holy Days, uh, I hope we also can appreciate through His Spirit the foundation of knowledge that you and I have received over the years concerning uh, His Holy Days because we we've we've learned a lot haven't we we have seen the magnitude of his holy days not over, not only the physical keeping of these days but more importantly coming to understand their their spiritual intent and meaning which is more important what is more important to know the physical things or to know the spiritual intent of things it's the spiritual um, the physical, you know, God says He doesn't see things like we do. He's, he, You know, we all look on the outward appearance and you know, all those things. He looks on the, the heart. He's after our hearts. He wants our hearts to be changed. Head knowledge does not matter. If the heart is changed, that's what's important. And that's what He's after. That's what He wants from each and every one of us. And... So there is that spiritual understanding and meaning that we have learned uh, about His holy days, about so many, so many things in in addition to that. Uh, And I I just say this today, that that understanding might be the greatest landmark and blessing from God that we have ever received, to understand His plan and to understand His holy days. Um, We understand a lot about the plan of God because of His holy days, And what we're really looking for in our life is a great connection between keeping these days and now and what it means for in the future. We need that connection. That's what we're after. That's what we want. And um, so we understand a lot of things. And, hey, it's a blessing that these scriptures that we have tie things together. So, Curtis's handout yesterday, if you got it, pull it out. If not, you know, I, 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 I want to pull out a little section of this uh, and, and read it because I love this book. I love this book. Do you? You love this book? It is what directs our steps, our paths. It's what, if we will follow its instructions, like Ian was saying yesterday, will give us all kinds of blessings and it will give us eternal life. This book. This book. On the first page of the handout yesterday, uh, on page one, the introduction to Bible interpretation and inductive Bible study, if you come down here to uh, point, under point one at the top of the page, down to points down to C, uh, Bible study is essential to spiritual effectiveness, and then you notice points one, the nature of Scripture, points two, uh, point two, function, benefits of Scripture, and, point, and then number three, uh, purpose to equip. That is a mouthful when we break it down. But I want us to turn to the scripture that he read uh, over there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 because this book is given to us, this beautiful book is given to us for, for a very specific and wonderful purpose. And in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, and for you little kids out there, Oh, they're not in here, are they? For you little kids out there, that's all of us, right? We're children, we're learning. Verse 15 says, uh, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. And if you have been blessed to have known about these words from a child, you are truly blessed. And if you have taken heed to those words from your youth, you will be truly blessed blessed. Uh, And I just, it's awesome. And of course, uh, you know, Peter was talking, Paul was talking to Timothy here. And uh, anyway, it says, but continue you, uh, I'm sorry, verse 15, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now notice, notice this talks about what this Bible, this book teaches us. It says, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, and able to make you, uh, I'm sorry, let's start over here. And that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, verse 15, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. If you want salvation, get the wisdom that is in this book. Because that's where it's going to come from. Through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And it certainly is mixed with faith. has to be. And then verse 16 says, all Scripture is given, and then you, Curtis, had these four points listed. Uh, It says, uh, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, Uh, let me read it off of his, for correcting, and for instruction. King James here says, for instruction in righteousness. It's very important. That's what this book, this book will make us wise unto salvation. And, and, Um, I I want us to really think and ask ourselves the question, do I really respect what is written in this book, and do I treat it with all dignity and holiness and obedience? Uh, And we all stumble, certainly. That's why we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. That's why we all repent before Him. But I hope the people that you are here today, that you will not be the same people a year from now. Or two years from now. Or three years from now. I hope that you will continue growing in grace and knowledge unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's, our, that's, that's what life is about. And I hope you will continue changing and growing and becoming more like your elder brother, my elder brother, and our Savior. And our Father in heaven. where our elder brother sits on his right hand. So, um, Curtis again thank you for all that you provided us with that. Um, You know the Bible makes some impressive claims about itself. it says it's written by God through men. And that what Bible scholars mean by that is certainly inspiration. And the Bible didn't just plop down, you know, we just, it just didn't rain down from heaven like this. Did it? Did not. Uh, and certainly humans are very much involved, uh, you know, carried along by God's Holy Spirit, said Peter one of Jesus' followers and key leaders of the church. Uh, Men wrote as God guided them. That's what Scripture says. Um, They didn't make up their own message. The words were written, you know, the word is called God-breathed. And all Scripture is inspired, breathed out of the mouth of God, so to speak. Now, I'll tell you what I used to think about that because I have a little different picture about that. It's God's holy word. I used to think that every word that is in here that God said and told people exactly how to write it, what to say. And you know what? Sometimes God did, didn't he? Uh, He told Moses, you know, the Ten Commandments. It was exactly (laughs) what God wanted written. And he wrote it, called, with written with the finger of God. On the, on the tables, those things were absolutely written, and, but I think, and have come to I think understand that what has meant that God dictated, you know, he didn't dictate everything, but his spirit directed men to write what he wanted said, and, you know, there's a big controversy about a lot of validity of, you know, well, why didn't this book get added in, and why didn't this book get added in, you know what? I had the answer to that. You know what it is? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why certain things were added in and why certain things aren't there. I just know what we have. And I know this. What we have is adequate for salvation if we will follow it and if we will let these words become our very nature and very character. And, uh, you you know, I I honestly don't care about Scribes adding, you know, certain passages or taking away certain passages. It's still the Word of God, and it's from Him, and it's very, uh, it's very, very interesting that, you know, uh, it wasn't, but a couple or three generations ago, no, there, there wasn't hardly any questioning of the validity of the Bible, was there? I mean, it wasn't long ago that most of them. America, most of the world, that was kind of the standard for living, was the Bible, in thought process. And, how is it that we have gone from that, to now that people think they can question everything that is written, and dissect everything, and you know, we got to check it out, It may not be right. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a dangerous position for us to get into. Uh, sometimes God dictated exactly what He want, wanted said, as like I said with the, you know, with the Ten Commandments. Read Exodus 20. Uh, you know, you go over to Exodus 32:16. It says the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God. Absolutely. Usually, however, the Bible displays human, you know, and divine partnerships. Partnerships, you like that, Ian? <laughs> through the Holy Spirit working through the writers and personalities and you know, the creativity to express the words of God. And I'm okay with that, aren't you? I am. So, we have to ask some questions here. And I'm, again, this is before we get to Wave Sheaf. Um, what did Jesus say about the Scriptures? If, if you want to do a script, that's a good Bible study, if you, would, if you could do that. Uh, because I believe what Jesus had to say about the Bible is very important because he's the all-knowing God who inspired it, right? God the Father and Jesus Christ the Father and then the Word. I don't think they've ever worked separately. I believe they've always worked together. They're a good team. They have a great partnership and we need a partnership with him don't we yes we do so when jesus spoke about the words of god and he quoted he quoted an awful lot didn't he from the from the scriptures in fact i love matthew 4 you know the great the temptation when satan tempted him what did he do he quoted scriptures well how did he know them because he'd been studying them he knew the scriptures ah that's a key that's a key for us. And you know, he uh, he understood. He knew he knew and he knew what it says in Luke chapter 22, 44. Um, let's turn there, Luke 22, verse 44. Twenty-two verse forty-four. Is that what I want? Hmm. Nope, I don't think so. Oh, 24, I'm sorry, 24. 24, 44. says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things might be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. And do you realize how much of the Old Testament is written about prophecies about Jesus Christ? His coming, and you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel are full of the prophecies about Jesus Christ and His coming and uh, his, his, his purpose. And I imagine, I've always wondered this, uh, I wonder how old he was when he finally recognized that he would have to die. You ever thought about that? Was he Six? I mean, I'm sure he had the unlimited measure of God's spirit. Was he 10, 12? But at some point he recognized, and I believe, because he was reading the old scriptures, he was reading them about a lamb and the one having to come and die and, you know, that he would be, uh, you know, numbered with the transgressors. And he's going, that's about me. That's about me. And, and he, uh, you know, he understood those things. And these things, that we, and they're written for us. You know, 1 Corinthians 10 says that all of these things that happened in the Old Testament were written for our benefit, so that we wouldn't act like them, we wouldn't be like them, we wouldn't lust, we wouldn't do the things that they do. But I also think it's there so that we can understand all the great things about the prophecies and about the future and about the purpose that He has. And they understood those things. Uh, (coughs) You know, it's really beneficial that he died, not only because we have salvation because or in our sins forgiven in the reconciliation with the Father and potential for eternal life in the family of God forever. But if he hadn't have died, we wouldn't have received the Holy Spirit, would we? Remember, he says, it's beneficial for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. And, and you know, his Holy Spirit over here in the book of Romans. Blessed are, we, are you if you understand and comprehend. And, you know, I see some youth sitting out here. I remember sitting out there as youth, as, young, as a young boy. Coleman's do too, I'm sure. remember sitting out there as young children. And Otina probably did as a kid, and there's probably several others in this room. How many of you were in, you know, set in, set in the church as kids, you know, little kids? Oh, looky here, yeah. Did you understand anything? Of course you did, because God's Holy Spirit was working with you. It's the only way we were able, able to comprehend it. I sat there, I listened, and, uh, and I, I, I said, this is, this is really real. I, I get this. Ten or eleven years old, and you know, started taking notes, and then we started trying to outdo each other taking notes. You know, my notes look better than your notes, but <laughs> you know how kids are. But the point was, his spirit was working, and those things were beginning to develop in my mind, as they were developing in your mind. Some may have resented it other, more than others, but uh, some of us—well, I shouldn't say I. Some of us didn't follow it exactly either. But the Bible does make impressive claims. But without the death of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be able to receive His Holy Spirit. We wouldn't have it. But we are blessed to have it, as it says over here in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And His Spirit, without it, we can't really comprehend all of these wonderful words. But verse 25 he says these things have I spoken unto you being yet present with you and he was but the comforter which is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name it says he but we know that we know and believe that the Holy Spirit is not a personage but it is the power of God so you know they they gave it the male form you know of, of the lettering there And it can be and should be, translated, it shall teach you all things, and bring, notice this, all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Here's the thing, though, about remembrance. It will bring all things to remembrance. It can't bring anything to remembrance if we haven't put it in there, right? If we haven't been studying, if we don't have the things of God in us. But he said he would send his Holy Spirit, and the same thing in chapter 16. Verse 12 of chapter 16 of John says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. I wonder if he does, says the same thing to us. I have many things I'd like to teach you and show you, but I don't know if you can handle it yet. Howbeit, when the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of truth has come, he or it will guide you into all, notice this, truth. It's one thing about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mislead us into falsehood. It doesn't lead us into lies. It leads us to truth. It leads us to truth. When it is come, it will guide you into all truth, for it shall not speak of itself, but whatsoever it shall hear, it shall speak, and it will show you things to come through his Holy Spirit. And uh, isn't that interesting? Because what is truth? Thy word is truth. Anybody know the scripture? John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. This, his word right here will guide us into all truth through his spirit and through his, these words. I find that really comforting. And I just have a, have a, a little bit of a sidelight here talking about how blessed we are to have His words, and to have His Holy Spirit. And, you know, Scripture says not to to quench the Holy Spirit. And I hope we will be motivated as His children to be like Him. And, of course, uh, you know, we could talk about Bible studies and all those kind of things, but I want to move on to a few other things. You know, Jesus said some more things about the truth, about the scriptures. Uh, One of them is found over here in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I I don't know um, how to phrase this adequately enough. I'm inept of how much respect we need for this word, for the word of God. In verse 17 of Matthew 5, he says, he tells, he's telling those around him, think not that I have come to destroy the law. He did things, he came in, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the foundation of the teachings of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our spiritual life is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You know, the Beatitudes. All of, all of the principles that are found here. And, and he gives us this hint. He says, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. He didn't come to do away with them or get rid of them. As some churches might want to do today. And say the only thing we have to keep are the words of Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. He just says, I didn't come to do away with them. They're still valid. But we have to have a spiritual understanding of it, don't we? I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You know, fill it up. Finish it up. Complete it. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Has heaven and earth passed? Not yet. So it tells me the word of God is very valid. And then he says in verse 19, something that I, you know, very, very monumental. He says, "Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men to do so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven." Uh oh. Is it important how we how we think and what we say about this word? But whosoever shall do first and teach secondly, shall be the same. Shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then we have another scripture over here in Revelation chapter 22, Revelation chapter 22 that ought to make, you know, the hairs on the back of our neck if we have any. Or the little soldiers on top of our head if we have those. We have what's said over here in Revelation chapter 22. Verse 18 says, I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from the words the uh, words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. There'll be all the promises, all the blessings. Now, I I don't know about you, but I don't want my name removed. Do you want yours? (laughs) We don't. And so, how we treat these words, what's written here, is incredibly important. Incredibly, incredibly important. And our life depends on it. Our life depends on it. Now, just briefly, I want to go back to the wave sheaf. I want to talk about that because of what we find written in Scripture about what happened to the children of Israel and what they did. And we're familiar with this and I briefly, okay, so there are lots of concepts and I don't know how many, we might get a one or two, but think about this. The wave sheaf began the barley harvest, didn't it? And we read that and that Barley harvest was began with a very unusual ceremony called what? The wave sheaf. And let's turn over to the book of Leviticus and let's read about this because the wave sheaf began the barley harvest and there are a lot of spiritual things to understand about that. There are are prophetic, there are historical things that we can learn. There are Christological things if I'm saying that correctly, which means things that talk about and refer to Jesus Christ in, you know, the holy days and in, uh, you know, in that, in things that we're talking about. There's also Salvitic things for us to, to understand and to, to consider. And there's also prophetic. So, you know, there's, there's lots for us to grasp here. And uh, I, I just wanna, want us to think for just a little bit about the importance of where we are right now in the count to Pentecost and the importance of what happened on wave sheaf. So turn with me to the book of Leviticus and let's get a historical view point before we try to tie some of these, you know, for a few minutes here, try to tie um, the importance of the wave sheaf to, to our salvation because of Jesus Christ. But in chapter 23, beginning here in verse 9 of Leviticus, and Leviticus 23 is the only place that lists all of what? Very good. Is the Sabbath a holy day? Yes. Is today a holy day? Yes. yes, it is. It's a commanded assembly when we're here on his holy day. But in verse 9 it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Oh, and I, by the way, I am reading today out of the King James Version. Sorry. For those of you that don't like the King James Version, but I uh, do. Uh, speak, verse 10, unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you be come into the land which I give unto you, and you shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And then verse 11 says, And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. And before they could begin the barley harvest, that had to be done. And when that was accepted, then they could begin harvesting. And harvest went on all the way up to Pentecost, right? And there was a barley harvest to begin with, and then the wheat harvest followed soon. But barley harvest was first. And what was waived was the sheaf from the barley harvest. What was waved at Pentecost are two loaves, which are of the wheat harvest. Now, does it, any of that have any significance? That's nice historical understanding. But is there anything that is in there that's really meaty for us? And I say there really is. There's, there really is. Um, continuing to, to read here, it says... Uh, you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf. A uh, he... Lam- oh, well. There's some other other things too. But okay. Before I go on here, um, there are for you and for me here today. When do we begin the count? We begin the count on the morrow after the Sabbath, within the days of unleavened bread. Okay, and it's seven weeks till the morrow after the Sabbath, which numbers fifty days. There's other ways to count it, or other people that keep it differently. You do understand that, right? There are those that keep Sivan 6, and then there's others that count it from the first day, the holy day. But we, when I read it, I see that it's on the morrow after the Sabbath. Okay, it's the weekly Sabbath. And uh, that's when that was offered up. Now that's significant for you and for me. That's significant because if you think about, and Ian is, has covered it a lot already, you think about Crucifixion Week, uh, and I want to read some of these, uh, some of those scriptures uh, about cruci- Crucifixion Week, because it's something very important for us to tie in. Uh, <clears throat> what he he covered, I think even today in the in the study today, uh, Ian, you you were talking about. No Friday to Sunday, I mean morning. It just doesn't work. And we know, and you can historically rec- you know, find this out, you can historically go, they can count back and see and find that the first day of unleavened bread when Christ died was on Thursday. And we know through scriptures that he was in the grave, and let's read those, before sundown. Why? Because it was preparation for the Sabbath, but it was a high day, not the weekly Sabbath. So turn with me over to Matthew. Matthew. Um. Matthew, please, turn with me to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. I can see I'm only going to get through about one of these, but this I'll just bring up some other interesting things for us to consider uh, about these days that we're in. But in Matthew 27, reading here, Matthew 27, verse 57, if you'll read with me. Matthew 27, verse 57. Uh, and of course, we read beginning in verse 50, we read about the death of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 57, it says, When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and he begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the, the body, excuse me, to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, He wrapped it in a clean linen and he laid it in his own tomb. That's what Matthew's account says. He rolled a great stone on the door and the sepulcher and parted. Now, keeping that in mind, turn with me over here to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And as we read these different accounts, you'll pick up a few different things, you know, about this. But in verse 50, Luke 23, in verse 50, it says, and there was a certain man named Joseph, a counselor, and was a good man and a just man. In fact, he was a follower. He was a believer. The same had not consented to the counsel and deeds of those that had crucified Jesus Christ. He was of Arimathea, the city of the a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. And this man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. He took, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen. So, apparently, Joseph of Arimathea, they took Jesus off of the stake, wrapped him in linen, laid, laid him in a, in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never a man before was laid. And then, verse 54, And that day was preparation, and the Sabbath drew nigh. And that's why they were in such a rush to get that done. They, had to get, they wanted to get it done before sundown because sundown began, because God's days begin at evening to evening, not midnight to, you know, midnight. His days begin in the evening. It was about to begin the first day of the Days of Unleavened Bread. So, that would have been, if the high day was on Thursday, Wednesday evening. Count three days, Wednesday to Thursday. Thursday to Friday, Friday to Saturday. And he was laid in the grave, close to even. So he, was, he would have resurrected sometime that night, that evening. Uh, Luke 24 verse one says, "Now the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulchre bringing the spices, which they were, had prepared, and Ian had talked about that, and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away. This is the first day of the week. This would have been after the weekly Sabbath, so this is Sunday morning. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, the two said to them, Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Now isn't it interesting, it is to me, that on the same day that they offered the wave sheaf, In the Old Testament, is the same time that Jesus resurrected. And then we we read this. We read, uh, you know, uh, in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, beginning here in verse, first verse. It says in verse 1, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, have brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint Jesus. And very early in the morning, uh, excuse me. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the sepul- Came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun, and they said to themselves, "Who shall roll away the stone from the door?" You know, I can't move it. Can you move it? No, I don't know who's going to move it we well, you'll have, we'll have to get somebody to help us. Can you imagine a conversation going on? They're having this conversation back and forth. And um, uh, when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. Can you imagine how shocking that was? For it was very great, a very great stone. They couldn't have done it themselves. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. So here we, we have a different account of a different angelic being you know what I like about this it says that it's a young man does that make give you any make you pause to think I just think there's a lot we don't know about what God's doing and what's around his throne and who his angels are and it's going to be awesome to be able to see it one of these days and be a part of it and to you know Imagine how it's going to be when you talk to that your guardian angel? And he says, Maxine, let me tell you how many times I had to bail you out. <laughs> or he'll say that to me, I'm sure. Or to each of us. I love you, Maxine. And, and and you know, so so they find him gone. Let's continue the story. He said, Be not affrightened. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here, behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell the disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him as he said unto you, as he had told them before. And then turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. and you know it's it's interesting you could begin in fact i'm going to just say you ought to read john 20 you know and tie these things together and get this picture in your mind of how all this was taking place and all all the uh, the different accounts and how one of the gospels is written to a different one set of people another's written to the jews and another's written to you know to the greeks for comprehension coming from different angles all the inspired word of god all written from different perspectives not contradicting. Remember, we put, we're like the Bereans. We take all these scriptures and we search them to whether they be so and we tie it. It's a fabric put together and wound together. It's just beautiful. But in verse 17 of John chapter 20, Jesus said unto her... Uh, well, let's back up. I'm sorry. Let's go here to uh, verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeing two angels in white... "...sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain, they said unto her, Woman, why do you weep? Why do you weep? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him." So she was, she was upset, very. "...and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus." Standing. And knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why do you weep? Whom seek you? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you have borne him th- uh, hence, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary, And she turned herself and said unto, she had to have said it, you know, like, Mary. Uh, Mary. (laughs) Hello, Mary. And she turned and she recognized him. Rabboni, which is to say master. And then notice what he said. He said, touch me not. Don't touch me. What's significant about that? He hadn't been accepted by the Father yet, had he? For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and to your God. And Mary came and told all the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. And then notice this. It's very, I mean, Scripture does not lie. Then the same day at evening, so we're not talking about a long period of time, we're talking about same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst. Can you just imagine that? You know, we're all sitting here and all of a sudden, peace. How you doing everybody? Whoa, what are you doing here? He just, you know, he stood in the midst. Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed them his hands, and they're like, uh, "That can't be you." Yep, here, Thomas. Notice the hole in my side. So obviously, they were touching him. What do you think had happened? He had been, he had ascended, and had been accepted of the Father. That's just one thing, you know. We, we here we are in the that that, and the magnitude of what that means for you and me. Um, we'll look at a couple of those scriptures. And we don't celebrate, and I wonder sometimes, uh, okay, I, this is opinion, I'm, st- I'm stating this as just a thought. Why is it that we, uh, uh, okay, I don't want to start any doctrines. <laughs> That's not my place. They're all the doctrines are right here. Why is it that we don't do anything to m- commemorate or, you know, even think about the wave chief on the day that he rose and became, you know, the first of the first fruits and opened the door for salvation for the rest of us? Everybody goes and celebrates Easter. Why don't we just, you know, I, uh, I was talking to some folks. We don't do that. I know some uh, brethren who will just get together and have a meal and discuss. The, Thank you, Lord, for, for what you've done for us. Thank you for what you were willing to do for us, willing to come down and die for us. So, you know, it's a, mag- it's a magnificent day. And it has such meaning and potential for the future for us. I just want to read a couple of scriptures, at Acts chapter 26, because as the wave sheaf offering was necessary for, you know, the forerunner for the Passover offering, because you know, there's two there, it's interesting, throw this in, there's a lot of information. You had, you had the wave sheaf offering from the barley harvest, at Pentecost you have the two loaves, and, and I don't have time to read that, but I encourage you to read that, and they represent something. At Pentecost, actually, in in the spiritual sense, that's us. It's the first fruits, because we are of the first resurrection. It's about us, those first fruits, those loaves. And then you have, at the end of the harvest, in the fall, what do you have? The Feast of Ingathering, Feast of Tabernacles. And then, you know, in that we have the last great day, when the rest of the dead have their opportunity and it's a wonderful plan. It's wonderful what God's doing. But just as the wave sheaf offering was necessary was the necessary for, forerunner for I mean Jesus had to be accepted before salvation could begin, before many sons could be brought to glory. He had to be accepted just as that wave sheaf offering had to be accepted for the by the priest before the children of Israel could begin children of Israel could begin the barley harvest. And you, Think about this, think about the, how many of you are gardeners? Okay, do you get the big harvest between now and Pentecost, or the big harvest from Pentecost to the end of summer? You get the big harvest in the summer, don't you? The first fruits are a small, a small harvest, it's a small, very small harvest. Now I don't know what that does to you but I feel very appreciative to have a calling in the first fruits and I hope you do too that we are a part of the small harvest the beginning harvest I don't know maybe we maybe we're having to go through more than the others will have to that's okay I don't mind that a bit Whatever we have to suffer, whatever we have to endure, whatever our Lord puts upon us through trials, through tests, through divisions and splits, and then we have to learn to all work together and get back together to, to watching you know, uh, many more faithful be added to Hebrews chapter 11, whatever it takes. I'm not that far away, by the way. I used to think for sure I would be alive when Jesus Christ returned. I've changed my thinking. I want to be faith found faithful unto the grave so that I can be resurrected when Jesus Christ returns because I might not be standing with those some. There will be some standing when He returns, but I might not be. So then, I want to be found faithful. I hope we've all set that as, you know, uh, you know what, we, what we plan on doing. And so that... Jesus was the necessary forerunner for us. He had to be first. He had to be raised first. And I'll just read a couple more scriptures and we'll stop. But in Acts chapter 26, because there are many New Testament scriptures talking about Jesus being the firstfruits. Jesus being the first. In verse 23, it says that Jesus should suffer and that He should be the first that should rise from the dead. The first. If He's the first, what does that tell you? More are coming. Yay! He is the first. More are coming. And should show light unto the people and unto the nations. Just what Curtis was saying. We have been given great... Blessings. Now we need to share it. Yep. We have a great, great calling. Uh, And Jesus had to be accepted by God to fulfill the wave sheaf. We know that. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Well, let's go to verse 19 and 20. It says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of, most, of all men most miserable. We have a great future ahead. That's what our hope is in. But it says, Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. And I know we're going to get a lot more sermons between now and Pentecost about that. About the greatness of that, and that he was the first of the first fruits. But guess what? We're first fruits, and part of the first resurrection. Revelation chapter twenty-one. Revelation chapter twenty-one. In verse five of Revelation twenty-one, says. Revelation 21, 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Thank God. That's ahead for us. He will make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And I say the words that we read are true and faithful. And you can take it to the bank, so to speak. And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And then verse uh, verse 7 says, He that overcomes shall inherit all things. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son and daughter. And children. And then back to chapter 20. Verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God. They They were slain for the word of God because they were faithful to it. I don't know what we have to face in the future. The word of God is under attack. And Christians are under attack. But let's hang in there. Let's be faithful. No matter what. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast nor his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. And then notice this little parenthetical statement, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. That's our our resurrection. That's the first Corinthians 15. You know, a moment a twinkling of an eye. That's our resurrection. Hey, and Pentecost is our feast. You realize that? First fruits. It's about first fruits. And those loaves waved. You know, Pentecost began 31 A.D., and Pentecost is not finished. The season. You know, you know that. Pentecost is not finished yet, because he is still adding people to the first resurrection. And he will. He will Close that time when he decides to close that time. And there's so much more that we can learn through the holy days and through the principles and through this beautiful word, the word of God. I hope we will hold it dear. I hope we will hold it precious. And I hope we will, we will do what is said over here in Peter. I hope we will be like uh, Jude, that we will contend for the faith once delivered, that we will hold firm to the Word of God revealed and inspired, that we will use that Holy Spirit that He's given us to hold firm and to hold fast. That was Jude, did I, did I say? Jude. She can earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. What was the other scripture I was going to? I forgot. Huh? Second Peter. That shows that I'm over 50. <laughs> Second Peter chapter three. But you're paying attention. Verse 9, I just want to read a few of these verses, and this is where we're going to conclude today. I want to thank all of you for being here for this event. I want to thank all of the Tulsa brethren for your warm hospitality, for your love. Thank you for sharing this blessing that you have with others. And I hope that we will do this as often as possible, and more often and more often that we will get together as the body of Christ, and we will build the necessary relationships, that we will drop organizational barriers. Forget organizations. We're the body of Christ. We don't look at organizations. We look at the Spirit of God in the individuals, and we work together. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. That's verse 9. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise. I don't know if you and I will be there at that time. I might be sleeping. Resting. That's a good thing. Resting in the grave. Waiting for the resurrection. In which the heavens shall pass away. But I know this, there will be some here who will see that happen. Right? There will be some who will see. Maybe some even here. We don't know. I do not think we're further away. I think we are closer than we know. And for us to have any other attitude besides that we are closer than we know, so we better make haste, we shouldn't have any other attitude. We need to be spiritually motivated. And we need to make sure that we are aware. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought, you know, you and I to be in the days ahead until that happens? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the Lord, uh, the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know, we are coming to a time very soon when this age ends. I've never, I've never seen that happen before. Have you? An age is going to end and the new age is going to begin. I make all things new. That's ahead for you and I. Let's be faithful to God. Let's hang in there. Let's be dedicated. Let's be zealous. Let's be faithful to the Word of God. Let's respect the Word of God and pray for His Holy Spirit. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, Is that an appropriate word? Nevertheless. It's a good King James one, yeah. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you and I, we look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless.